most of the world doesn't share your opinion. Warning. Proceeding without caution will bring you into spoiler territory for the media displayed on screen. Timestamps are gifted in the description and comment section. Viewer discretion is advised. Under the Red Hood was released on July 27, 2010 and follows a new vigilante in Gotham by the name of Red Hood, voiced by Jensen Ackles, and Batman, voiced by Bruce Greenwood, having to figure out who he is, eventually finding out that he's Jason Todd and having to try to stop Jason with doing what he's doing. The movie includes the death of Jason Todd, as well as flashback portions showing Batman reliving memories with a young Jason. First off, I have to bring up the fact that fucking Neil Patrick Harris is in this movie as Nightwing, and somehow it's good? I've never really seen many things that Neil is in, so maybe it's really obvious to everyone else that would watch this, but I just don't see the guy from How I Met Your Mother when Nightwing's talking. I just hear Nightwing cracking his usual jokes, just like I would when playing something like Arkham Knight. Also, Another role in this movie that is insanely good is John DiMaggio as the Joker. If you've seen my Joker ranking video, you would know I ranked him pretty high on the list, and for good reason. He is able to pull off the Joker sounding like the complete opposite. Instead of being all high-pitched and crazy and rambunctious just like most Jokers, he goes for more of a low-pitched, calmer version, and it fucking works. He sounds menacing every time, and you can tell in the voice that he's got a few screws loose, and when you can fully tell he's insane is when he starts laughing. <laughs> Joker is the reason why this scene specifically is the second best scene in the movie. Just him being all silent eating his chips is kind of uncomfortable, but also funny at the same time. And then shit just goes wild in a matter of milliseconds, and he takes down every guard and then makes one of the greatest jokes I've ever heard. I'm going to need something to wear in a very big truck. Sure. Anything else? I'll need some guys. Not these guys, because, well, they're kind of dead. They really did Joker well in here, and John's voice is just so good. I laugh at, like, every other line that he has. That he has horrible taste. Gonna be a sleepover, right? I packed my toothbrush. So, I've been bamboozled. Oh, my. Okay. So, what's the plan? Slumber party? Charades? A little truth or dare? Yes, I'll start with dare. Or maybe I'll just go with truth. And then one with the crowbar. Party pooper. No kick for you. Enough of the Joker, let's talk about the main act. Red Hood. Man, did Arkham Knight do this character dirty. I used to absolutely hate Jason Todd because the only representation I had of the character was this whiny baby that embodies a 13-year-old who just got rejected by their school crush, so they spam their IG and Tumblr with edgy fake depression memes while blasting Billie Eilish in Last Resort. Oh, the Joker killed me and barely beat me and now Batman, you come and save me now I'm gonna kill you. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. But then I see comic panels of Red Hood, and I see this movie, and he has the anger towards Batman and Joker, but is a lot more emotional than teenage angst, and he's also just cracking jokes to everyone else. You wanna die? There's easier ways to kill yourself. Yeah, like yelling at the guy who's holding the AK-47. 
Easily the best scene in this movie is when Jason, Bruce, and the Joker are all in the apartment, and Jason's going on about how evil the Joker is, and how he's hurt that Bruce would keep him alive after killing him, leading to Batman to truly explain his no-kill rule, which is so amazing. It's too hard to cross that line. No! God Almighty! No! It'd be too damned easy. All I've ever wanted to do is kill him. A day doesn't go by when I don't think about subjecting him to every horrendous torture he's dealt out to others, and then... end him. Aww, so you do think about me. But if I do that, if I allow myself to go down into that place, I'll never come back. And then there's just... this line. I'm not talking about killing Penguin, or Scarecrow, or Dent. I'm talking about him. Just him. And doing it because... Because he took me away from you. This line genuinely brought me to tears. The emotion that Jensen has in his voice when delivering it is just so fucking good. And there's also this passing line. A friends he's crippled. Which I thought was nice as a little nod to Oracle. The biggest problem I have with this movie is Bruce Greenwood. Don't get me wrong, his Batman voice isn't bad. It's actually pretty good when it's there. There is a good amount of times in this film where the Batman voice just kind of goes away or is barely there. There's also the scenes with Black Mask that I'm not the biggest fan of. They're not bad, but they're not that entertaining, and that's kind of just the case with a lot of this movie. It definitely does pick up after the Black Mask Joker scene, and it becomes a really solid film. Not that it's bad before that scene. It's good, but just not as entertaining as the movie eventually gets. I will say, the reveal that Red Hood is Jason, the Bruce, and Alfred gave me chills. Also, yes, Jim Piddick as Alfred is a highlight. But yeah, Red Hood is an insanely good movie, and just because of that really good pickup during the third act, I would say this is one of the best Batman films of all time. Batman Year One was released on October 18th, 2011, which also happens to be the same exact date as the release for Arkham City, which is funny given the casting choices done for this movie. The film follows, not Bruce, or Batman, but actually Commissioner Gordon, voiced by motherfucking Brian Cranston, as he moves into Gotham with his pregnant wife, showing what the cops are like in the city, and Gordon climbing to the ranks to eventually go from being the newcomer to being the commissioner, and making the GCPD a better place. All while this is happening, you get like a handful of scenes that have Bruce, voiced by Ben McKenzie, becoming Batman, and then him being Batman, and eventually him and Gordon teaming up. Also, Catwoman isn't here, for some reason? Yeah, this movie is called Batman Year One, yet it has a lot more to do with Commissioner Gordon than Batman. And honestly, I kind of like it. For one reason though, I do not like Ben McKenzie as Bruce Wayne or Batman. His voice goes all over the place, and I, I guess I could handle one of the two Wayne voices he has, but holy fucking shit, the voice he puts on for Batman is just terrible. You've eaten well. You've eaten Gotham's wealth. It's spirit. But your feast is nearly over. At least when Bale sounds like a chain smoker, it can sound menacing, but here it's like Ben didn't even fucking try. But the fact that he gets overshadowed by Gordon, who's voiced by Brian fucking Cranston, makes me kind of like the fact that this is more of a Gordon film, which 
If you haven't guessed already, I think Brian Cranston is easily one of, and probably even the best Gordon performance ever. I only hate myself a little for hoping they came out negative. This is no place to raise a family. And I'm honestly astonished that I never once thought he'd fit the role. I never once watched Breaking Bad and thought, hey, he should voice Gordon at some point. I think he'd be really fitting. And it baffles me how I never thought that, because he's fucking perfect. Gary Oldman will forever be my definitive live action, but I think Brian Cranston is the closest to my definitive voice of Gordon. Anyways, like I said, Catwoman's in here, and I don't know why, because she does absolutely nothing to provide to the plot that you could take her out and nothing changes. And I would actually like that, because I do not like this Catwoman. I hate to sound like that guy, but Selena Kyle looking like the adjudicator from John Wick 3 does not sit well for me. On top of that, the Catwoman costume looks fucking disgusting, and Eliza Dushku's performance is just... Batman? They're giving the credit to Batman? What is this? You were able to get Grey Delisle, aka the voice of Catwoman, and you made her be Vicky Vale and Barbara Gordon, and instead made Eliza Catwoman. Eliza's performance of Selena Kyle is so not Selena Kyle that it makes Michelle Pfeiffer look like the fucking goat. This movie isn't bad, though. I liked the animation. Jeff Bennett was a pretty good Alfred. Once again, I fucking loved Bryan Cranston. And watching this movie, I can see how the comic would inspire Batman Begins, especially with the ending being so similar. And I'm pretty sure the comic itself is good, given how it was made by Frank Miller, and also that if this movie is very accurate to the comic, then the comic would be good. My faults with the movie that make it to where I probably wouldn't actively want to rewatch it just comes down to some of the casting decisions. Other than that, it's not not a bad film, it's just Ben and Eliza's performances just bring down the enjoyment by a lot. Man, no wonder Brian ended up in a wheelchair, he had to carry this entire movie for an hour. Dark Knight Returns Part 1 was released on September 25th, 2012, and it's the first of a two-parter movie. Why is this movie split into two parts? I genuinely have no idea. I tried looking it up, but I cannot find an answer. My only guess is the fact that it's animated, so they were forced to make it an hour long. Either way, the film follows Bruce, boy by Peter Weller, coming out of retirement of being Batman because of how bad Gotham crime has become, right at the same time as Commissioner Gordon, voiced by David Selby, is entering his retirement. The movie follows Two-Face, voiced by Wade Williams, being fixed and then going immediately back into crime which then includes this weird shot. Like, I'm still confused at what this was. But the big main villain of the movie are the mutants, and Batman eventually stopping them and turning half of the members into a new group called Sons of Batman. With the return of Batman after a 10-year retirement, Gotham also goes into the state of discourse, with some people loving Batman being back and others thinking he's a true criminal. It's pretty interesting, not gonna lie. One thing I noticed while watching this was some of the influence I had on The Dark Knight Rises, with an old Bruce coming out of retirement, and specifically this scene. Slowing down? Yeah, we're in for a show, kid. What's going on with the lights? We can't continue. I also noticed that a lot of this movie was straight up put into Batman vs. Superman, but we'll get into that when we get to that movie. Peter Weller as an old Bruce and Batman is actually really good. There's a scene in here that I think is Kevin a run for his money when it comes to being downright terrifying. Do you know who I am, punk? Huh? Where am I? 
I can't see. And your worst nightmare? The kind that makes you wake up screaming for your mother. I think I'm bleeding. What's on my face? Quite an arsenal you had in that apartment. Combat weapons. You're going to tell me where you got them. Solid, man. I'll tell you. But no cops. And I walk. Deal? You're in no position to negotiate. Let me show you. David Selby as Commissioner Gordon is a bit weird. I guess I could see him as an old Gordon if this was in the same universe as the animated series, but according to Wikipedia, the comic takes place in the same universe as year one, so that makes his casting choice a bit more... Eh, he just doesn't sound like an old Brian Cranston to me, and, and I, I know that's probably not fair, but like, I don't know, when the adaptations are of comics that are in the same universe, I feel like the casting choices should be dealt in a manner of the movies being in the same universe. You, you get me? Michael Jackson is Alfred's great. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? Yeah, so apparently there's a guy called Michael Jackson. N not the Michael Jackson, no, just called Michael Jackson, and he voiced Alfred in here. You have no idea how much of a severe double-take I did when I first found that out. <laughs> there is a new character ad in here, Carrie Kelly, voiced by Ariel Winter, who eventually becomes the new Robin. I think J.J. Abrams watched this movie when he had to write the ending of Rise of Skywalker. What's your name? Carrie. Carrie Kelly. Robin. I'm gonna be honest. I do not like Carrie Kelly. Or, at least in the beginning. Because when she meets up with Bruce and saves his life is when she actually becomes pretty good, but before that, she's just really cringy. And I absolutely fucking hate saying that word, but there's nothing else I could think of that would describe it. Joke is also in this, but he doesn't talk until the very end, where he ends up getting the last line of the movie, and I absolutely love it, to be honest. But, uh... Gotham City belongs to the Batman. B Batman. Darling. One big thing with this film, though, is the fact that Batman constantly looks like he's killing, but then the movie's like, well, actually, he's doing this. There's even a point where he's holding a sniper rifle and ends up just being a harpoon gun, or he's shooting down the mutants, but with rubber bullets. Overall, it's a fine movie. It's a very interesting take on the character, and I understand that the comic was written after the Adam West show, but before the Tim Burton movie, so it was definitely a return to form for Batman. But then again, the experience of this movie is just kind of... Eh. I didn't hate it, but I didn't absolutely love every second. It was just a fine watch. Would I rewatch it? Probably, but maybe not as much as the second part. Dark Knight Returns Part 2 was released on September 23rd, 2013, is obviously the second part of the two-parter movie. The film follows Joker, played by Michael Emerson, getting out of Arkham Asylum and immediately going back to his ways of killing, starting with the amazing talk show scene, which I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this had some influence on the Murray scene in Joker. Eventually, this leads to Batman and the Joker finding each other and having their final fight because Batman finally snaps and kills the Joker. That's right. Kills. And it's done right because it's not something he wanted to do, unlike in Batman 89. He even ends up hallucinating the Joker, mocking him for the action, and then passes out. <sighs> Doesn't matter. I win. I made you lose control. 
He also ends up using a gun to detonate a bomb and then immediately afterwards stops using them and starts breaking guns later and disavowing them once again. I have a pretty good feeling that Zack Snyder didn't actually watch this movie or read the comic, but again, that'll be something we talk about later. And later on, Superman, voiced by Mark Valley, is ordered to kill Batman because the city is now fully afraid of him, which leads us into a pretty epic fight that ends with Batman and Alfred dying. Uh, except Batman isn't dead. Some somehow. But Alfred's still dead. Which is kind of sad. Mark is pretty good as Superman, I, I guess. I, I don't really know, to be honest, because I've never really paid much attention to Superman because I just always found the dude uninteresting. But holy f Fuck, Michael Emerson as the Joker is so goddamn good. So long as you won't miss it. He has the same performance as John DiMaggio, but more darker and psychotic sounding, and the delivery in this line alone just sold me. <laughs> You're in trouble now. Carrie Kelly continues to be pretty good in this movie, so that's nice. My one big problem with the film that almost convinced me that this was going to be bad is that opening scene. It makes absolutely no sense, and it's just a far cry with how Batman is dressed up as his elderly woman, and then there's a topless woman with swastikas on both her tits. Like, what the fuck am I watching? But other than that, this movie is just fantastic, and honestly, I think it's a lot better than part one. And just like with Deadshot, the notes just stopped somewhere in the beginning of the movie and started back up when the movie ended because Alex just got so drawn into the film that he forgot to actually write things down the mayo. Besides, as I said, I would have a higher chance of rewatching part two over part one. Yeah, it's a great movie and a great showing of Batman at his lowest and fully breaking his rule, something that makes me ever so looking forward to talking about when we get to Batman vs. Superman. Oh boy, I have an unpopular opinion for this one. The Killing Joke was released on July 25th, 2016, and is the long-awaited, hyped-up, animated adaptation of the Alan Moore comic of the same name. The comic book follows the psychological look into the relationship between Batman and Joker, showing how they're two sides of the same coin by giving us a look at the Joker's origins, and Batman kind of sympathizing with him, even wanting to help him get better so that neither of them dies. And the movie does exactly that. Except for the first 30 minutes. Now, you may expect the unpopular opinion to come in about now, with me coming out and saying, Hey guys, the first 30 minutes aren't actually that bad, but no, 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 I'm not that fucking stupid. The first 30 minutes absolutely fucking suck. I hate every second of it. You get this really fucking weird act that involves Barbara, voiced by Tara Strong, and Bruce, voiced by Kevin Conroy, not getting along, and so Barbara is somehow in love with him, because that makes sense. And somehow all the tension between them ends with them fucking on a rooftop which then makes Bruce awkward around Barbara, which is totally valid, because I don't like this either. And then Barbara gets close to killing, so then she understands Bruce, and then she quits being Batgirl, and then we're done, now we can start the movie. Except for the fact that we all just had to sit through this for 30 minutes, so let's talk about it. I will say I do kind of like the opening lines, because it kind of reflects the producers knowing this is unnecessary. First of all, I realize this is probably not how you thought the story would start. Batman giving Barbara a coffee to calm her down was kind of nice. Oh, that's nice. And that gay scene line honestly gives me a good chuckle. And they say the gay scene is complicated. I totally understand, though, how, you know, that could upset someone because, uh, it's a fucking far cry from the original comic. And, uh, that's the end of positives I can give towards this. 
The love relationship between Bruce and Barbara, I, I don't like. I don't like it at all. I didn't like it when it was in Mystery of the Batwoman. I don't like it here. Them fucking on a rooftop was just as awkward and as comfortable as the Catwoman and Penguin scene in Batman Returns. Every time Paris says baby, I cringe immensely. I don't care if the animation is really good. The writing is god awful. And you can tell none of this was in the original comic because there is a giant jarring tonal switch when the actual comic starts playing. I gave it a chance and I hate it like everyone else. So moving on, let's start talking about the actual adaptation. Now, I myself have never actually read The Killing Joke. So with that being said, here's my unpopular opinion. Pretending that the first 30 minutes never existed, everything after that is the most terrifying Batman movie I have ever seen, and I love it so much. I think this movie is fucking amazing once you get past the first 30 minutes. As I said, there is a massive tonal switch, and you can hear it in just the writing, and oh my god, the lines. They are so fucking good. Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. But what really takes the cake is Joker. Oh my god. Do you ever think about how many times you've come close to World War III over a flock of geese on a computer screen? Mark Hamill's performance just makes these lines so perfect, but even then, you don't need him to speak to get some of the most scariest scenes I have ever seen. The scene where Gordon is yelling Barbara legitimately terrified me. I spent that whole scene just wanting to curl up in the corner of my room and cry, with chills going down my body throughout it all. It's so good. I have this thing where if I am genuinely scared, I will start tearing up, and that happened multiple times throughout this movie. And the Joker's origin, I think, was done really well with it being shown in just memories. And then you get the Joker's speech about memories while he's currently reflecting through them that I honestly relate to so much. Please, tell me what I'm doing here. Somebody! Doing? You're doing what any sane man in your appalling circumstances would do. You're going mad. I... I remember. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Remembering's dangerous. I find the past such a worrying, anxious place. Yes, memory's so treacherous. One moment you're lost in a carnival of delights, childhood aromas, the flashing neon of puberty, all that sentimental candy floss. The next, it takes you somewhere you don't want to be. Somewhere dark and cold, filled with the damp, ambiguous shapes of things you'd rather forget. Memories can be vile, repulsive, little Bruce. Like children, no? <laughs> I relate to it so much that I had to be the opening lines of my EP about my postgraduate life. There are points in this movie where I'm entertained by the Joker, and then he just goes balls to the wall fucked up that it makes me disgusted, and then almost immediately he's making me laugh. And then there's the ending, which, yes, I'm aware is done a lot better in the comics just because of how it's drawn, but in here, I think it's still good, especially given how you're hearing Batman laugh, something he never does. <laughs> oh, excuse me. 
And then the credits have no music, and it's just rain, ending the movie on a real spine-chilling note. Until this fucking happens. Right then. Back to work. Way to kill the mood, Barbara! Thank you! I don't feel like I have to go into my thoughts on Mark and Kevin's performances. I'd just be repeating everything I always say when I talk about the two. They're fucking amazing. So, The Killing Joke is an interesting movie to me, because I'm thinking of doing something to it that I've only ever done with music. And that is completely cutting out that first 30 minutes. You see this? This is Idol by Hollywood Undead featuring Tech 9 This song is a blend of rock and EDM and it works very well. The song features a powerful verse from Johnny and an amazing verse from Tech. Do you know what else this song also features? A really terrible opening verse done by Jarrell. So in order for me to actually be able to enjoy the song, I took it and cut out Jarrell's verse and now the song is amazing and now I can listen to it on repeat constantly and never hate any second of it. And that's what I'm probably gonna do with The Killing Joke. Because after those first 30 minutes, this movie becomes, like I said, the most terrifying Batman film I have ever seen. And I think it's amazing because of it. I love every second of it, even when it makes me disgusted or scared or both. But I can't enjoy it constantly if I have to sit through those first 30 minutes. And yes, I'm aware I can just skip past them, but like... Here's the thing, I'm really lazy, and I kinda tend to go down the route that uh, is gonna require me to do a lot more work than I really have to do. So The Killing Joke is honestly an amazing movie in my opinion, and I highly recommend watching it. What I also highly recommend doing is just skipping the first 30 minutes. You, you, you don't need to see it, it's pointless, it has nothing, and it does nothing, and if it's your first time, you don't, you don't need to see it. Sadly, the inclusion of those 30 minutes does bring down the final score, but fuck, I love the actual adaptation of the comic. I will say, though, a lot of the criticism this movie gets is completely warranted. I understand it. But like I said, I didn't read the comic before this. As a perspective of someone who's never read the comic, and probably one of those people that would have just walked in the theater anyways because it's a Batman movie, I enjoyed it. One thing I will say, though, is I wish this movie would have animated it in a way that the widescreen and like the framing of everything was a lot like the way that Zack Snyder's doing his Justice League. That way when you get to the scene where Joker has become the Joker and he's doing his maniacal laugh, you you could be able to draw the Joker on the black bars to kind of make it look like he's jumping out of the screen just like he does in the comic. I think that would have been a lot better. And also like uh, Nostalgia Critic said, just extend that scene a lot. Like a lot. It would have been fucking great. Also, if it seemed like I was a bit too repetitive on the point of me hating the first 30 minutes, I understand in internet rules that means I actually like it, but in all actuality, I'm just so used to reviews of mine getting bombarded with people taking things I say out of context and then making it seem like I said things that I never said. So it was just me really trying to get my point across that I hate those first 30 minutes. So yeah, hopefully you can understand that. All right, moving on. Gotham by Gaslight was released on January 12th, 2018, and is a lot better than I expected it to be. 
The movie follows Batman, voiced by Bruce Greenwood, but in the tone of the 19th century, which also allows the main villain to be Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper does his Jack the Ripper things, going around and killing off prostitutes. Which, by the way, this has nothing to do with the actual movie, but did you ever think of the fact that Jack the Ripper could have just been another prostitute killing off the competition? That would explain how he never actually got caught, because they were looking for a man when in all actuality it was a woman. I mean, just think about it, the time period was pretty sexist, so, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if they didn't think, like, a woman was capable of committing murder. What? A woman murdering? That's not possible! Murdering is in the kitchen! <laughs> Anyways, back to the movie. Due to the massive increase in murders of strictly sex workers, the women of Gotham start getting a bit upset at the GC... SD? Hmm. I guess PD still works. In simpler terms, they're upset at the law attorney for not taking the murder seriously strictly because it's of women, which is honestly pretty valid. And you can't doubt for one minute that if men were being slaughtered, Tolliver would hire an army of policemen to find this ripper. She do be speaking facts, though. Batman doing what Batman does, hunts for Jack, while at the same time, Selina Kyle, voiced by Jennifer Carpenter, is doing kind of the same thing as an act of revenge. Great Delisle is in this movie, but she doesn't get to do Selina Kyle once again. What the fuck? Why? But unlike Batman Year One, it doesn't really matter, because Jennifer Carpenter does a pretty good performance, so they'd say it's mostly on par with Grey's. Which is surprising, given how the only movie I know her in is Quarantine, and uh, that, that's, that's a yikes. Eventually, Bruce and Selina kick it off, which is to be expected, which leads to the greatest thing about this entire movie. Harvey Dent's character development. You see, Dent is kind of a simp. He immediately falls in love with Selena and tries to have an affair with her, constantly trying to be the boss of the room when they're together. And Selena's like, fuck that, I'm a dancer, not an e-girl, so she talks to Bruce more often, which leads Harvey to start getting really jealous and pushy with Bruce. So Selena fucks Bruce. <laughs> So Selena fucks Bruce, and then Harvey goes into fucking incel mode and calls the police on them, sends Bruce, his best friend, to jail, calls Selena a whore, and sends her to her fucking death. This dude! I know I gave Penguin shit and Batman Returns for being an incel, but at least in here it's hilarious, unlike in there where his actions were just really gross. Also, I think Gotham by Gaslight gets kind of a free pass when it comes to changing up the characters because it's taking place in an older time, so obviously the male characters are gonna be really sexist. Speaking of sexist characters, let's run a little test, shall we? I'm gonna give you a multiple choice list of all the characters that I thought were Jack the Ripper. Let's see which one you get. Is it A? Harvey Dent, B, Commissioner Gordon, C, Sister Leslie, D, Hugo Strange, E, Rachel Ghoul, F, Catwoman, or G, Batman. My bomb is on your lips, my bomb is on your lips, and if I'm lucky, I just give it a little kiss, and that's the message that we deliver to little kids, and expect them not to know what a woman's glitteress is. If you guessed A, C, or D, that's perfectly valid. The movie kind of makes it seem that way at times. If you guessed B, it's either because you're insanely lucky, I'm insanely dumb, or you've already seen the movie. Yep, that's right. Jack the Ripper is Commissioner Gordon. What the fuck? Yeah, Gordon's a demented, sexist piece of shit in this movie, and... And somehow it works. I don't understand how, but like our Lord and Savior God Howard once said, it just works. Oh yeah, 
One thing I noticed was this movie kind of takes inspiration from Mask of the Phantasm a bit, it seems, uh, with the whole masked murderer that ends up being revealed at the end, but all the murders are being blamed on Batman. Only, obviously, I think Phantasm does it a lot better. Other random things in here that I like was the three poor boys being named Diggy, Jason, and Tim, and eventually being hired by Alfred and joining the Bat family. Anthony Head's performance as Alfred. I didn't really know what to expect given the time period, and I was really curious, but it's just the normal British voice. But if it's and it sounds good. Speaking of voice acting, just the casting decisions are pretty solid. I don't think there's a single voice in here that feels out of place. Also, I like Sister Leslie's death just because she's a fucking queen during it. I won't beg, and I won't go hysterical. I won't give you the satisfaction. Negatives to say would be the design of the bat suit. And that's pretty much the only thing besides the fact that it's not constantly entertaining. Overall, it's a solid film and I would definitely rewatch it. It's a movie that I was intrigued by because of the setup and had no idea what to think going into it, and I feel like it was executed pretty well.